that how you feel this morning? Came to praise the Lord, amen? He's been good to me. Been better to me, the old songwriter said, than i ever been to myself. Amen. And I've been pretty good to myself. But he's been good to me, amen? If you'd stand with me this morning, I want to continue. We, we started a series in Hebrews chapter 11 called Steps of Faith. And, and over the last several weeks, I have diverted from that we had a missionary in one sunday we've had mother's day and uh father's day and i don't know what all different diversions and in between those diversions i've i've preached a couple of different messages i felt like god laid on my heart for those particular sundays and now i want to take a little bit and get back and try to finish this study that we were doing through hebrews chapter 11 so you may not remember where we left off but that's okay i keep notes so i know right where we were <laughs> Amen. The last verse that we covered was verse 31. And this morning we're going to pick up and do just one verse, Hebrews 11 and 32. And that verse says this. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Amen. So we're going to talk a few moments tonight or today, this morning, about this steps of faith. And and I, I would call this lesson the conquerors. Amen. These are these are men that God used mightily to overcome enemies and, and they provide an example of faith for you and me. And I'm going to explain how in just a few moments. Why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the wonderful presence of God that I feel in this house right now. And I'm asking over the next few moments, Lord, you allow the word of God to speak into our hearts and into our lives. Touch us, Lord, and change just in Jesus name would you say amen? amen and you may be seated so verse 32 marks a transition a change in the flow of the chapter after providing many different examples of faith and and kind of expounding upon each one as he addressed them the writer of Hebrews now shifts into a summary mode he he begins to paint with a broad brush he's not going to give us uh, as many details as he has before and so he starts off by saying what shall i more say amen uh, for for time would fail me to tell so he points out that he could continue telling us stories of faith uh, until we grew old and tired amen uh, there the bible is full of examples uh, of faith and he could keep on in that vein for a very long time uh, uh, there are all kinds of stories just like the stories uh, that he's already told us. Uh, but as the author considers the host of examples uh, that are available to him uh, in the history of Israel, he is reminded of his greater purpose. Uh, he's writing a letter to the Hebrews. Uh, and this is actually, this whole chapter is just a, an inclusio. It's a, it's a parenthetical in the middle of a statement about faith. And it's, a, it's given to provide examples uh, and given to provide a definition uh, so that we we understand what faith is. Uh, and so he recognizes that I just don't have the time to tell you all the stories. Amen? Then after saying that, he lists six names without giving any details of their faith. So today, I'm going to attempt to do what he didn't have the time to do. Amen? I'm going to give you a brief glimpse into the life and faith of each of these individuals. And it is my prayer 
that when you walk away from this place this morning, you don't scratch your head and go, you know what? He didn't have the time either. Amen. So if you bear with me, we're going to talk about each of these individuals. Now, let's start by discussing the six names all together. At first glance, it appears to be just a list of Bible characters. But if you take a closer look, some things are, are peculiar that stand out about this list. First of all, the list of names is not in chronological order. It doesn't appear in this list the way they appear in the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the names appear to be in pairs, and in each pair, the order of appearance is reversed so that the second person appears in Scripture before the first person that is in the list. So uh, while our, our list says in Gideon and Barak, in, in truth, in the Word of God, Barak uh, appears before Gideon. Jephthah comes before Samson. And Samuel comes before David. So some for some reason, and really can't give you an explanation of why, it seems to be an odd way to list them. Perhaps there was some common sense reason that his readers understood uh, that was obvious to the original audience, but has been lost in the passing of time. I don't know what it is, but I, I think it's peculiar and interesting that he lists these guys in reverse order. I also found it interesting that when Saul was at the coronation of Saul, when Samuel was was speaking at the coronation of Saul. Samuel gives a similar list. As a matter of fact, he lists Gideon and Barak and Jephthah. No, he doesn't mention Samson and he doesn't mention David, but he puts himself in that list. And, and interestingly enough, whenever Samuel gives that list, he also reverses Gideon and Barak. He puts them out of order from the way they appeared in the Word of God. So perhaps the Hebrew writer is, is just continuing in that tradition. He attaches Samuel. Samson to Jephthah and David to Samuel, and he expands that list that Samuel started way back at the coronation of Saul. So let's begin with Gideon. I'm going to give you a brief overview of Gideon's faith, and I recognize that just like the writer of Hebrews recognized, I really don't have the time in, in one lesson to give you every detail of every one of these individuals' stories. But Gideon shows up on the scene in the Word of God, after seven years of cruel oppression by the Midianites, and after seven years of, of being oppressed and, and downtrodden by this warrior tribe, the Israelites cried out to God for relief. Give us some liberty. Give us some help. Uh, come, and, come and help us overcome our enemy. Bring us out of this bondage. Gideon was God's answer to that prayer. Now, God sent an angel to Gideon, and the angel found him, you'll remember the story, hiding behind the wine press, threshing the wheat, where he, he was certain that the Midianites could not see him. And so he, he's cowering in fear, if you will, and he's, he's trying to thresh out just, just enough wheat for dinner. Amen. He's, he's trying to do it without being seen and without being caught. And in, in a humorous turn of events, the angel appears before this coward, this frightened man, this man who's hiding behind the wine press, and he calls him a mighty man of valor. Now Gideon must have looked around and said, is somebody else in here? 
You know, you surely you're talking to somebody else. I, I I'm just scared. I'm just frightened. I'm I'm just here uh, trying to uh, get a little bit of wheat for a meal. Uh, amen. But he wasn't talking to somebody else. He was talking to Gideon. Amen. The truth of the matter is that the angel addressed Gideon not as he was, but as he would be, as he would become. Amen. He addressed Gideon not according to his current position, but according to his level of faith. Just like David is anointed king while he's still a shepherd. Uh, he's not on the throne yet. Uh, amen. But he's already anointed king. Uh, amen. Before he fights the battle with Goliath. Uh, amen. That little shepherd boy uh, who roams the back 40 with daddy's sheep uh, has a king's anointing on his life. Uh, and his position doesn't quite match the better thing that God uh, has spoken over him. Uh, amen. That's what happens with Gideon. Uh, the angel of the Lord meets him hiding behind the wine press, uh, threshing his wheat in secret uh, while he's cowering in fear uh, and speaks a better word over him than what he has. Amen. That's the way the Holy Ghost always works. Amen. God's spoken better things over your life than where you are right now. God's called you to a higher place. He's called you to a closer walk with him. He's called you beyond where you are. We, we sometimes get caught up in our circumstances, and we get caught up in our surroundings, and, and we get caught up in the emotions of the moment, uh, but the Holy Ghost is speaking a better word over your life. Uh, amen. He's calling you to a better place. Uh, he's calling you to be a better child of God. He's calling you to accomplish more than you thought was possible. He's calling you to step out and grow. Amen. It takes a while for Gideon to overcome his fear. The first thing that God asks of him is that he would tear down the altar to Baal that his own father built. And he did it. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the reaction of the people. So he still got a little bit of that fear thing going on. Amen. That's Gideon in a nutshell. He has enough faith to follow God's word. He has enough faith to obey what God says to do, but he has enough fear to second-guess himself and wonder if God's really telling him to do it. That's Gideon. In fact, when it came time for him to gather an army to, to take the Midianites to battle, to, to conquer them as God has ordained for him to do, he went and asked God for a sign that he was doing the right thing. He's still not certain. Amen? Judges chapter 6 and verse 36. I'm just going to read the passage to you. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand. Now, an angel's already appeared behind the winepress. And an angel's already told, but he's not satisfied. Amen. He's got enough faith to obey God. He's got enough faith to follow God. He's got enough faith to tear down the altar, but he's got enough fear that he's not confident in where he is. And so he prays and he says, Lord, if you're going to save Israel by my hand, behold, I'm going to put a fleece of wool on the floor. And, and when the dew falls in the morning, uh, if the dew is on the floor only, uh, or on the fleece only, and the floor is dry around it, uh, then I'll know that you're going to save Israel by my hand. Uh, and so the scripture says that he got up early the next morning uh, and he thrust that fleece together uh, and he wringed out of it. Uh, the dew made up a bowl full of water uh, that came out of the fleece. God answered. 
But you see, this is Gideon. And so Gideon says, Lord, let not thine anger be hot against me, but I want to try this one more time. Now I'm going to lay the fleece out on the ground. And, and just in case this was an accident in nature, if you just let it be wet all around, but let the fleece be dry, then I will believe that you're calling me to do that. Uh, amen. And so he did it. And once again, God in his tremendous mercy allows it to happen, just like Gideon asked that it would happen, that he can have the assurance in his soul that he's doing the right thing. So the great thing about Gideon being included in this list of heroes of the faith is that his faith is not without doubt. His faith is not without fear. His faith is not without that lack of self-confidence that so many of us have. Amen. He's a man just like you and just like me, and that gives me hope. Amen. I, that gives me hope because if I had to measure myself against Noah building an ark uh, and, and when he's never seen rain before, if I had to measure my faith uh, against Abraham leaving his homeland to follow a God uh, he's never heard of before, amen, then my faith not might not match up. Uh, but when I look at Gideon, uh, amen, when men like Gideon appear, in this this hall of heroes uh, of faith. Uh, I am encouraged uh, because my faith is not that different than his faith. Uh, I can believe like that. Uh, amen. I had that kind of faith. Uh, I know sometimes I wonder and sometimes I doubt uh, and sometimes fear rises up uh, and gets a hold of me. But I've got just enough faith uh, to follow him. Uh, just enough faith to obey him. Uh, just enough faith to step out on faith. So I'm encouraged. I'm thankful that Gideon shows up in this list. Amen? And you know the rest of the story. Gideon gathers together an army of 32,000 men. And he gets ready to go confront the Midianites. But God wants to make sure that he's the one who gets the glory. So he tells Gideon through a series of tests to send home all the men but 300. And there's little Gideon with his 300 men against nearly impossible odds. But this is Gideon's faith. He has faith enough to obey God and march against the Midianites with just 300 men. With a crazy plan. We're going to take earthen vessels and we're going to put torches in them. And we're going to take trumpets uh, and that's what we're going to carry into this battle. Of course, even then... On the eve of the battle, Gideon's still not satisfied. He slips into the enemy's camp and seeks yet another sign that God is going to deliver the Midianites to him. And then again, God gives him another sign. He overhears two Midianites talking about the dream that they had. And how that God delivered them into the hand of Gideon. And then Gideon feels confident in his faith again. He's ready to move forward. Uh, and so that small army armed with torches uh, in earthen jars and trumpets. Uh, amen. They at, at the same time, uh, they smashed the jars. Uh, they blew the trumpets. Uh, and they shouted unto the Lord God Almighty. Uh, and they caused so much pandemonium uh, in the enemy camp uh, that they began to kill each other. And they began to flee the the battlefield and they begin to run and they were routed uh, and God delivered a great victory to Gideon because of his faith. Amen. Amen. And no doubt Gideon is a hero of the faith. 
But his faith is no different than the faith that you and I possess. Gideon's a man just like me. I can, I, I'm good with that. Amen? So we moved to Barak, and, and Barak is somewhat surprising also to find him on this list. Barak's story unfolds in a troubled period of, of Israel's history during a time when there wasn't any leadership among what, where, where you would normally look for leadership. And, and so God raised up a woman, a, a, a prophetess named Deborah. And Deborah became a judge over Israel. And she allowed God to work through her. And she began to lead that nation back into fellowship with God. Uh, and it was Deborah who called on Barak, uh, amen, and asked him to raise up an army and engage their enemy Sisera in, in, in combat to go. And she even told him where to do it. We're going to surprise attack him beside the Kishon River. Uh, and there we're going to find him, and there you're going to overcome him. Uh, now, Sisera was a mighty op opponent. Uh, as a matter of fact, his army was known for its 900 iron chariots. Uh, and those chariots gave Sisera a, a distinct advantage uh, in pitched battles. Uh, amen. It gave him a, a distinct uh, a, a advantage over anybody that was going to come against him. So Barak wasn't exactly excited about being told to go ambush Sisera. As a matter of fact, he pulls a Gideon, and he says, the only way I'm going is if you go with me. Amen. He wants the prophetess, the, the, the person who is a spoke per, spokesperson for God to go with him and go to bed. He says, the only way I'm marching, uh, if you don't go, I'm not going to go. This is why you wonder if Barak, if Deborah might should be in this list instead of Barak. But Deborah responds and tells him, Barak, I'll go with you. But because you've hesitated. The glory of this victory will not be yours. God is going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman, and she's going to slay him. Now, this is where Barak's faith comes in. Now, he's not getting any glory. He's not, getting, he's not the hero of this story anymore. Amen. A little Hebrew woman named J.L. is going to be the hero, hero of this story. Amen. But Barak still gathers his army. And he still goes to battle because he has faith enough to believe that God's going to do what God said he would do. And he attacks Sisera by the river just like Deborah told him to. And God caused those mighty iron chariots, all 900 of them, to become bogged down the mud uh, and, and effectively remove them from the battle. Uh, and all of a sudden it was possible for Barak to win. Uh, and he routed them and chased them from the field of battle. But Sisera escaped him and just as Deborah prophesied Sisera sought refuge in the tent of a Hebrew woman named Jael because he was on good terms with her husband I was going this is actually a sermon I was going to preach two or three weeks ago and just never have gotten around to it but I'm going to tell you something gentlemen you better be careful who you make alliances with because it can put your whole home into, into danger and Jael Although Sisera feels safe going into her tent and going to sleep because he's got an alliance with her husband, Jael, oh my, she's willing to be used by God. And she feeds him a little milk, 
warm milk, puts him off to sleep, and then she gets a, a tent stake and a hammer. And she drives that stake right through his skull and kills him while he's lying in her tent. Victory starts at home, gentlemen. Victory starts at home, ladies. Amen. It's in your house uh, where you're going to win the victory. It's in your house. Now, we can come to church, uh, and I'm going to get sidetracked, and I may not finish. Uh, but we can come to church uh, just like Barak, uh, and we can shout, and we can worship, and we can set the enemy to flight. But I want you to understand what I'm telling you. Amen. The army didn't win that battle. That battle was won in the home. Uh, amen. That's where the principality is overcome. That's where the powers of darkness are overcome. That's where your family is saved, is in your home. Amen. So you might wonder, maybe J.L., maybe she deserves a place here. But instead, we, we find Barak. And we find Barak there because although he wavered, although he hesitated, Ultimately, he had enough faith to march into a battle where he knew he wasn't getting any of the glory. But this isn't for my glory. This is for my nation. This is for my kingdom. This is for my God. And he was willing to lay himself down and willing to lay aside his pride and willing to lay aside all the things that tend to motivate us as men and go to battle when he knew he wasn't getting anything out of it. That's the faith of Barak. Next, it mentions Samson. And Samson is another problematic inclusion in this list. Because when you review the life of Samson, Samson was a child of promise, born to be a deliverer. It was spoken over him from his birth. He's going to deliver his people from the Philistines. But if you read the story of his life, you, you don't find the life of a faithful patriarch. Instead, you find a man who swings from great triumphs of victory to dark moments of failure. Samson, in many, many ways, is a flawed man. But because of his faith, because he trusts God, because he's obedient to God, God is able to use him to do great things. Now, Samson's vice was women. In particular, it was Philistine women. And ironically enough, it was the Philistines that he was supposed to deliver his people from. But he couldn't keep himself from getting entangled with the Philistines. God has this unique way of working. He uses Samson and his Philistine women to create opportunities for him to use Samson to bring about victories. And you read the story of Samson's life. He takes a, a wife from the Philistines, and, and then in, in, on the way to the wedding, this lion comes out, and he kills the lion. You remember that story? And then, and then a little while later, he, he finds that uh, bees have made a, a, a nest in the lion, and there's honey inside the lion. And so at the wedding, he gives a riddle to the Philistines and involves the lion and the honey uh, out, of the, out of the strong meat comes uh, a sweetness or something of that nature and he leaves them to ponder the riddle but they go behind his back to his wife who is a philistine and they get her to tell them the answer to the riddle and they come back to samson and they tell him we know the riddle we know the answer and then samson understands the only way they can know the answer is only one other person knows it and so in his anger he slays i don't know 30 or 40 of them and then and then the, the passage of time happens, and because of the, 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 the thing that's occurred, the, the offense there, uh, his wife's dad, the, his father-in-law, gives his wife to another man. 
And whenever Samson comes to visit her, he's not allowed to visit her. So he takes foxes. And he ties their tails together. You remember the story? Sets a, a burning brand in between them and runs them through the field and then creates great havoc and, and does all these mighty things. And then they, they, in spite, then go and kill his wife and his father-in-law, burn them in their home just like he burned their crops. And, and if you follow the story of Samson, it, it goes from bad to worse. Now he ends up in, 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 in Philistine with a woman of ill repute, and, and they come against him, and that's the day that he takes the gates of the city and carries them off. Uh, he's a strong and mighty man, and he's able to use God, but he, is, he keeps, keeps falling back into the same traps. But God uses those relationships to create the opportunities for victory. Now, I, I, I don't have the time, and I know I've already kind of digressed and told you some of Samson's story, but I don't have the time to tell all of it in, in detail. But I do want to talk about his biggest failure and his greatest victory. You see, Samson had taken a vow, a Nazarite vow from birth. And that vow meant that he would. there were several things he wouldn't do. One of them was he would not cut his hair. He would not touch a dead person. He would not drink uh, strong drink or fermented drink. These are the vows of a Nazarite. And Samson kept those vows for all of his life. Amen. And he had great strength because he kept that vow. He was obedient to the Lord. And, and that strength that Samson had didn't come from steroids. It didn't come from pumping iron in a gym somewhere. It came from the anointing of the Lord. Three or four different times as you read this, the story of, of Samson as it unfolds in Scripture, it'll say, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's where his strength came from. But then he finally fell in love with a lady named Delilah. And you know the story of how Delilah ultimately tricked him into revealing his secret. And, and through a series of, he, he didn't tell her the truth several different times, but finally he relented. I don't know how he could be so foolish. And told her the truth, and she cut his hair while he was asleep, and then called the Philistines in. And, 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 and Samson, when the Philistines come upon him, jumped up and expected the Spirit of the Lord to come upon him. But the vow has been broken. And the Spirit of the Lord doesn't come upon him, and he no longer has superhuman strength. He's just like every other man. And now the Philistines are able to overcome him. They put out his eyes, they bound him with bronze fetters, and they made him grind at a meal. And they came, and they would mock him, and they would laugh at him, and they would, they would say, look at the mighty Samson, how he has fallen. But while he's grinding at that meal, his hair begins to grow again. Nobody notices the fact that, that Samson's hair is starting to grow again. And finally, the Philistines decided to throw a great feast in the, at the temple of Dagon, the, the false god that they worshipped, and they brought Samson to the feast where 3,000 Philistines had gathered so that they could humiliate him and so they could celebrate their triumph over him. But Samson asked them, said, why don't you put me between the two pillars uh, in the middle of the temple? And there they attached him and they tied him to to those pillars and they put him on display amen but Samson began to pray uh, and ask the Lord uh, to restore his strength uh, amen and as he began to pray and ask the Lord to restore his strength uh, God honored that prayer and Samson pushed down those two pillars uh, and the temple collapsed and it killed Samson but it killed the 3,000 Philistines who were gathered there. it was his greatest victory 
It was the it was the greatest thing that he accomplished in his life, the greatest demonstration of his faith. Samson is probably my favorite of the examples that are in this list because Samson shows us that even when you have completely failed, even when you've completely messed up, even when you've broken your vow and your faith has, has been completely betrayed, even then you can still be used by God if you just repent. That's Samson. That's faith. I want to have enough faith to believe I can overcome my failures. I want to have enough faith to believe I can overcome the flaws in my character. I'm going to have enough faith to believe uh, that if I can humble myself uh, in the presence of God uh, and bend my knees uh, in repentance unto him, that not only will he forgive me, but he will restore me and he will use me. That's the faith that puts Samson in the hall, the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Amen? Amen. And now we move to Jephthah. Jephthah's another odd member of this esteemed list. His name is most often associated with a rash vow that he made to the Lord. It was a vow that cost him very dearly. But Jephthah shows us, just like Samson, that we're not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by the things that, that we do rashly. Sometimes we're, Jephthah was trying to do a good thing. Sometimes in the process of trying to do a good thing, we act rashly and we get out of step and, and we mess up and, and our own, our own uh, uh, haste causes us to, to make a mistake that costs us dearly. Uh, amen. But Jephthah shows us uh, we don't have to be defined uh, by our mistakes. Uh, and the Hebrew writer remembers him uh, for his great faith. So let me tell you about Jephthah. Jephthah was the illegitimate son of Gilead. And because he was illegitimate, he was dispossessed by his father's son and refused a, sons and refused a part of the inheritance. He wasn't allowed to inherit any of his father's possessions. And so Jephthah moved to the land of Tob, a small Aramean state east of the Jordan River. And there he became a leader of a band of renegades and adventurers who went raiding with him. He kind of like a Viking. And when war broke out, then you want somebody like that on your side. So the brothers that had refused him, the brothers that had turned him out, went to Jephthah and asked him if he would come back and bring his marauding band of rebels uh, and lead their army against the Ammonites. But Jephthah, at first, he does the human thing. He refused. He said, you treated me like dirt. You think I'm coming to your rescue? You pushed me out of my daddy's house. You think I'm going to come and save you? But then they promised that if you'll come, we'll make you the ruler over all of Gilead. Everything you lost, we're going to give it back to you and more. And so when they promised to make him the ruler, he accepted. And his faith demonstrates, uh, what he does first is he demonstrates his faith in God. He, he goes and attempts to negotiate with the Ammonites. And in his negotiations, he doesn't come and say, well, if you give this, I'll give this. Or if you do this, I'll do this. And we can make a little peace. We can find a compromise. So that's not what he does. He calls the Ammonite leader, sends a message to the Ammonite leader. And he says, let me tell you about the victories. 
that God has wrought for his people. Let me tell you how he delivered us from the Midianites. Let me tell you how he delivered us from the Amorites. Let me tell you how he delivered us from the Canaanites. And what I want you to know, King, is if he did it before, he'll do it again. That's the faith of Jephthah. And whenever the Amorite king doesn't concede, they go to battle. And God does again what he had done before because of Jephthah's great faith to believe that God doesn't change. That if he's done it before, he'll do it again. Amen. That's the kind of faith we all need to have. Amen. The kind of faith that recognizes, uh, amen, my God, uh, he doesn't change uh, what he's done before. He's able to do again. If he's ever healed you before, he can heal you again. If he's ever made a way where there seemed to be no way before, he can do it again. Man, oh man, I don't have the time. Because I could camp on any one of these. I know that's how the writer of Hebrews felt. David is the next person in the list. He's the only king in the list. And the life of his story, or his life story is well known, contains more examples of faith than I could ever list in the short amount of time that we have left. I'm aware of the clock. But suffice it to say that he led his nation to victory time after time. He was the most important of Israel's kings, and under his rule, the kingdom of Israel expanded into a vast empire. Israel was at her zenith, zenith, possessed the most land she would ever possess under the rule of David. But just as David had his moments of great and extraordinary faith, David also was a man of great and extraordinary faith failures and in the end though his faith is greater than his failures and we find him here among that list of the heroes of faith we have to be reminded uh, amen that david is another one of those stories where faith conquers failure where faith overcomes uh, amen and i could tell story after story of the faith uh, of david both before his failure and after his failure but probably the greatest act of faith uh, in david's life happened early in his life uh, when he stood against goliath uh, and he refused the king's armor uh, and he put his trust in god who had delivered him both from a lion and from a bear uh, and with nothing but a slingshot in his hand uh, amen he stood before for the champion uh, of the Philistine army uh, and told him, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, uh, the God of the armies uh, of Israel. Uh, amen. And what he done for me against a lion uh, and what he done for me against a bear, uh, he's about to do the same to you. He brought about a great victory for his people. That's the faith of David. Samuel is like David in regards to the fact that the examples of his faith are too numerous for us to cover this morning. However, the greatest display of faith for Samuel probably came after the Ark of the Covenant was foolishly lost in battle. And it was Samuel who stepped up and rallied the shattered morale of a nation, showing them that God was in their midst even though the Ark of the Covenant was in an enemy camp. And begin to show them that God was still working. That God could still work through them. Samuel was many things. He was a judge over Israel. He was a prophet. He was the first prophet since Moses. First great prophet since Moses. And the first of a long line of prophets who are also mentioned in this verse. But when you consider the life of Samuel... 
you might overlook the fact that he was also, just like the other men mentioned in this list, a military leader. At the Battle of Mitzpah, it was Samuel who led the children of Israel into battle against the Philistines and brought them through, and they emerged victorious. That was a huge step for them. It helped restore their confidence in the fact that God was working in them and through them, even though they had lost the Ark of the Covenant to the very army they defeated. So that's the faith of Samuel. It's a faith that calls a nation back that takes the brokenhearted and restores them, takes those that, are, that have been beaten and, and calls them back to a place and says, God can still use you. Then finally, the writer ends with the statement and the prophets. Samuel kind of leads us into the prophets. And, and the prophets, there's a long line of them that follow Samuel. And their faith is demonstrated in their willingness to faithfully deliver the word of God, no matter what it costs them. And it's going to cost them. Some of them are going to end up in prison. Some of them are going to earn the displeasure of kings. And some of them are going to be threatened with their life. And some of them are going to run for their lives. But they're going to give the word of God faithfully. That's their faith. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm coming to a close. But I want to point out that there's a common thread in this list. Every one of these men, every one of these individuals that is in this list is in one way or another a conqueror. Gideon was victorious against the Midianites. Barak overcame the Canaanites. Samson broke the back of the Philistines. Jephthah won a victory over the Ammonites. David defeated the Philistines, among others, over and over and over again during his reign. And even Samuel led an army into battle against the Philistines and emerged victorious. That's the first and most obvious thread among all these men is that they were all conquerors. They were all overcomers. God used them mightily in their faith, and they prevailed against impossible circumstances. However, there is another common thread that runs through this this verse of Scripture, and I've touched on it over and over again this morning. You see, many of these great examples of faith are men who struggled in their faith. There's an important lesson to be learned this morning. And it's simply this, that just because you struggle in your faith doesn't mean that God can't use you. Just because you've made mistakes doesn't mean that God can't use you. Just because you've failed miserably, Samson, doesn't mean that God can't use you. Just because your faith isn't perfect, just because it it doesn't measure up uh, to Abraham and Moses, uh, just because it it isn't the same as some of those other heroes. uh, I want you to look at this distinguished list uh, of six men and recognize uh, that your faith can be effective, uh, that God can use you. uh, Amen. Just because uh, you failed him, just because uh, you've messed up, uh, that doesn't mean that you can never be used by God again. That's the story of these six men. Why don't you stand with me? These examples of faith, and Brother Ryan, if you come, show us men who sometimes failed, men who sometimes questioned God, men who sometimes were overcome by fear and 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 lack of confidence. But it also shows us a faith that always prevailed, a faith that always overcame, a faith that was always victorious. 
And so I stand in this pulpit on a Sunday morning. And I want to encourage you in this house because all of us are are human. And all of us have made mistakes. And all of us have, have stumbled sometimes along the way. But I want to tell you that your faith, the faith the Bible said that is given to every man the measure of faith. Every man has some faith. Amen. And your faith is enough if you just use it. If you just exercise it. For some, that means like Samson, we need to come to a place of repentance and just say, God, start all over with me. The hair's growing again. I can feel it. Oh, would you honor my vow one more time? For some, it means that we simply need to surrender our pride and our, our vain glory and, and all the things that we want and say, God, your will is more important than my will. Amen. It doesn't really matter what I want, God. If you call me to go to battle, I'm going to go. Amen. For some of us, it means we've got to overcome the, the, the rash things that we've done, the failures that have happened in our lives. The, the people know the story and they mock and they laugh. But that doesn't mean God can't use me. I'm calling this church. I'm calling the individuals under the sound of my voice this morning. These are, we call this, this lesson Steps of Faith because this is the kind of faith we're supposed to emulate. This is the kind of faith we're supposed to be able to demonstrate. Amen. And some of you, the devil's told you, you messed up one time too many and God can't use you anymore. Some of you, the devil's told you, your, your weaknesses are such that God can't use you anymore. And I come to this pulpit I, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to tell you, your faith is enough if you'll exercise it, if you'll put it in God, if you'll put it all in his hands, if you'll trust him. And follow Him. Amen. You're still going to have to be obedient to Him. You're still going to have to surrender to Him. You're still going to have to yield to Him. I'm not telling you God will use you in your sin. What I'm telling you is God will deliver you from your sin if you just had the faith to believe. And so I'm asking you on a Sunday morning, if you take a season of prayer, if you come before the Lord, if you just tell Him, Lord, here I am. Help me have that kind of faith. Faith like Abraham may be out of reach. Faith like Moses may be beyond my grasp. Oh, but I can be a Gideon. I can be a Samson. It may cost me everything. It may cost me my life, but I can follow you again. I can be a Barak. I don't have to get any glory. I can be a Jephthah. I can believe that if you did it before, you can do it again. I can be a David. Man after God's own heart. Who failed miserably. But had the faith to carry on. And and though he would never be allowed to build the temple. Gathered the materials. At the end of his life. So that the temple could be built. I can be a Samuel. I don't find any flaws anywhere in the life of Samuel. I can't come and tell you his mistakes and failures. But I can tell you Samuel was a restorer. He's the perfect individual to end this list. Because it's Samuel that calls people out of their tragedies. And out of their failures. And out of their flaws. And out of the pitfalls of life. And when the devil seems to have overwhelmed him. When the enemy seems to have been victorious. It's, it's the Samuel that steps up and says, God can use you. 
God can work in your life if you let him. And so I'm calling to you this morning. God will work. Who will let him? God will work. Who will let him? Cordoba da rata.